0: Peter, we've gotten as far as chapter 3, and very quickly, the theme of Peter is to remind, and then so we can remember. We've gone through these key verses, and that's going to be our outline for the study. Prepare your minds, grow up, love life, that's where we are right now. Love each other, and if you're loving life and loving each other, love covers a multitude of sins finally, if you feel like you're failing, and the world is against you, cast your cares upon him, for he careth for you. The notion of love each other ties together, and we've been going through the the conversation about submission, and we're going to talk about the submission at the home front, and so that's where a loving life and loving each other come together. Can you believe that I am both pro-life and pro-choice? we think about that. there's pro-life i love life and there's pro-choice i choose life our country's at a crossroads right now and i don't want to dip into politics but we really do need to pray for our country the whole question of loving life is really at the heart of today's debates so we need very much to be in prayer so we're talking about submission and what does submit mean comes from the Greek word that means to submit and we've covered coming through chapter 2 we talked about behaving and then we're going to get into submission we talked about submitting to the government we talked about submitting on the job and now we're going to get into submitting at home and I'm just going to read through these verses the first seven verses and then we'll begin to unpack them. wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah. Who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers We could probably spend the entire hour, maybe next week as well, on these verses, but we're not going to do that. I want to dig into these things. Those are the verses we just read. There are different couples that are around. You have lost people married to lost people. You have a lost husband married to a saved wife. You've got a saved husband married to a lost wife. And you've got saved people married to saved people. And I will tell you that I've been blessed in that saved to saved. I've been married 43 years to a saved woman as a saved man. But I also had four years as a lost man married to a saved woman. And like so many things that I talk about, I draw upon my own experiences to try to express myself. Then you have the saved husband married to the lost wife. And the lost and the lost what is that that's a tenderizer what's it used for <laughs> if you look real close you can see the imprint of the head of that hammer in that meat I heard a quick great quote today and it's so applicable to what we're talking about right now you don't appreciate the meaning of tenderness until you need some. And the book of Ephesians tells us this be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We're going to take that phrase, if you don't appreciate the meaning of tenderness, and put it down on the bottom for a while. The book of Ephesians begins with. Well, the second chapter begins with, and you were dead in trespasses and sin. I spent 28 years living as a dead man, living as a dead spiritual man. So I have to ask the question, how many parties are there in a marriage? Now, you don't say the reception, and then my anniversary, and then the baby's birth. How many people are, how many parties are in a marriage? Three, you're exactly right. There are three parties in a marriage, and only one of them is perfect. So, the notion of lost, married to lost. If you do your studies in 1 Corinthians chapter seven is a great chapter on on marriage and divorce and remarriage and those (coughs) kinds of things. And all the rules and regulations seem to be pointing to at least one of the couples who is saved. But picture for yourself, Here's a lost person and divorced with kids. Here's a lost person, divorced, and with kids. They fall in love with and get married. And then they both get saved. How do you counsel a family like that? I heard a preacher from Alabama say this. He said, you can't unscramble eggs. And so you have a blended family, and if those kids have maybe grown to be teenagers already, they had a, a certain lifestyle that they had, and they had certain liberties that they had, and all of a sudden, dad and mom are marching to the beat of a different drummer. What are the dynamics of that family like if day one i can do whatever i want to do and then day two dad and mom are both telling me oh no you won't love each other and love covers a multitude of sins i am so blessed that in my own family i don't have a lost and lost situation i can't relate to that but i can imagine what it's like if all of a sudden everything changes as it should so then you have the situation of a lost husband and a saved wife. And we just read through all of that. <sighs> Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband so that if they do not believe the word, this is talking about a saved wife and a lost husband. And I started by telling you I had four years in that situation. She did not put notes in my lunch box, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. She did not put pla- plaques on the wall, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They talk about without words. I'll tell you, I've been married to a beautiful woman. I've been blessed. And I was saved without words. She didn't, you know, jab or jab or jab. I'll tell you what she did do. On Sunday afternoons, neither one of us went to church. She would turn on WCOJ, the Coatsville radio station. And there was a a black lady that would just play gospel songs and she had a ministry to the the prison, but that wasn't here nor there. But all those gospel songs were the only thing she said to me. Now, there were words spoken behind my back you know what kinds of words they were? Her whole family prayed me into the kingdom. Took a few years, took a few lumps, took a few out-and-out battles, but they talked me into the kingdom. They talked to God. And so we'll continue through this process here. There you see, saved and saved, talking about the woman. Now, I once heard somebody say that there are three reasons the way a woman dresses. She dresses for her husband, or she dresses for other men, or she dresses for God. And I will tell you, I've been blessed once again to see a lot of beautiful women. I'm not talking about Miss America or anything like that, I'm talking about ladies. Whose countenance, I can simply look and I can say, she's a Christian. And it's not a denim skirt down to the ankles, that's not what it is. And it's not a covering over the head, that's not what it is. It's, a, it's this beam, you say, John, you've gone charismatic. It's the beam of the Holy Spirit that as these people are going through the grocery store or whatever, they just have this peace and contentment kind of thing. And that's what the Bible's talking about being more adorned, and it goes a little bit deeper, and it talks about jewelry and those things. And one of my favorite pastors, Doug Rowland, down in Nottingham Baptist Church, he said this: He said, "I've never seen an old barn that didn't look better with a coat of paint." Now, what kind of coat of paint do you put on? You could do the thing to make yourself look like Cleopatra, but you can make yourself look. Nice. I just, that's the only word I can use. It's nice, okay? Here we are in the dead of winter. We have no color. We're all pale, whatever. And I think just like the clothing, the face could be the same way. You can paint yourself for God, for your husband, or for other men. And once again, I've been blessed. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody... I've never said this, but I've wanted to. I've wanted to say, I bet your eyes are really tired by the end of the day. Well, why is that? Because you're holding up those eyelashes all day long. But the point of the matter, it's not what I can see in terms of clothes or paint or anything else. It's the Holy Spirit. one time I had the privilege of leaving a, a husband and wife, both lost and lost, to, to saved and saved, and we're out to dinner, and we're just getting acquainted. He was a carpenter, and I looked at her, and I said, so what do you do for a living? She said, I'm a barmaid, and I said, we'll have to find you a different kind of job. Husband came to me afterwards. He said, John, I'm so glad you picked those words. And wow, you know, I always open my mouth and stick it and insert foot. He said, You didn't say you had to find a different job. You said, We have to find you a different job. The pull, pull that lady out of. I don't know, I don't have I haven't heard these words in, in the Protestant world, but in the Catholic world, he used the phrase the occasion of sin. Now if I have a propensity towards drinking, I've got no business to be inside of a bar, as an example. That would be an occasion of sin. And there are more things that happen in those places than just getting drunk. And so here's somebody, an infant, a babe in Christ, who's exposed to this. And so we have to find a better, a better place, a better, a better opportunity. And so saved husband, lost wife. I've heard these things. We don't party like we used to. When are we going to Atlantic City again? Instead of your night out, you go to the breakfast Bible studies. And the unspoken message there is because you're not taking your night out, I feel bad taking my night out. And if she does feel bad, I think that's the Holy Spirit. But I have seen families break up because the husband isn't fun. So lost, saved, saved, lost. Let's again think about the kids. Now, one of my pet peeves, I managed to fix it in the, in the older half of Elizabeth and Rebecca that I didn't have to worry about it so badly, in the younger half. One of my pet peeves is somebody goes, let's say, to mom and says, mom, can I do X, Y, Z? And she says, no. Then they go to dad and ask the same question. That has always bothered me, okay? And we fixed it really early in life, and you better fix yours too, because it's going to happen. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. But if one of the partners is saved, and one of the partners is lost, there might be a totally different set of game rules. You know, it might be something uh, simple that's being asked, like, can I go out and play? Dad might say, sure, mom might say, it's snowy or it's wet or it's whatever, but that's not what I'm talking about. But the dynamic is bigger than the marriage, and we said three parties were in a marriage. Then we asked the question, how many parties are in the family? Well, you take three plus X, the numbers of kids. And then you have the neighborhood, and then you have what's happening at school. And you've got all these things going on. And so when we come back to the thrust of this thing, love life and love each other, and love covers a multitude of sins, you can see how these things all play together. Who's ever experienced peer pressure? I have. Okay, a couple hands, a few hands. I think everybody has experienced peer pressure. And you know, boys are wired differently than girls. I've got this little baby, he's not a little anywhere, Caden lives with us, and he'll do things. His latest trick was to climb up on top of a piano stool, you know, a spinner kind. A boy will do something because he might get hurt. A girl won't do something because she might get hurt. They're They're just cut different ways, and men are still wired very differently than women. If somebody was talking about, say, a job change, the woman thinks in terms of security. The man thinks in terms of challenge. It's a very different wire. So we're talking about the dynamics of a family, and it started with wives submit to your husbands, but it goes deeper than that. And you see, we have now submission, and that was the purpose of that little cross thing. It goes in every direction, submitting. And behaving with your peers, with your subordinates, and with your Lord. If somebody's trying to say, well, John, how do you measure up? I don't measure myself against this guy. I might say, well, I, I do something better than he does, or uh, he's not, I'm not a scoundrel like him." That's not the measuring line. The measuring line is this way. Paul said that he presses on towards the mark of the high calling. So here we are on the husband's side of the thing, and we're going to take a look at that. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you, love with your, as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And we've done this a number of times in Sunday school, but we've got some new folks. I want everybody to go like this, and I need to hear you. It's 12 degrees outside. Keep it going. What do you feel? Don't say I was feeling my other hand. What? Heat. Heat. Why? Because of friction. That's exactly right. That same pastor, Doug Roll, would go like this with his church, and he did it a lot of times. He must have had three or 400 people in there, so you can imagine the sound that's going on. He would say, husbands and wives, if you say you don't fight, one or two things is true. you either lying, or you don't love her, or you don't love him. There's going to be friction there. That's why in the book of Ephesians says, be angry, say not, but let not the sun go down on your wrath. Yeah, there's going to be friction. I still have a new, an old nature. She still has an old nature. We both have new natures, and there's there are three of us in that marriage triangle. Ephesians. Now, this particular verse. You know, they talk about marriage counseling sessions. Somebody says, she and I are going to the marriage counseling session and the response be, You mean your, your marriage is in crisis? No, you go to marriage counseling sessions because you want to make a good marriage, a better marriage. And I want you to look at this particular verse. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I would have expected to read Husbands and wives love each other. Husbands and wives have respect for each other, but that's not what this verse says. It says the husband should love the wife, and the wife should love the husband. Now there's a psychologist, he's a PhD pastor, has a ministry, has a son, PhD, clinical psychologist, his name, it's a tongue-twister name, Emmerich Egerich. But you don't need to worry about that. I need you to think in terms of, there's that same verse, loveandrespect.com. Now, if you own a smartphone, you do need, don't need to own a computer. Go to loveandrespect.com. And what they have done, they are long-standing Christian ministers, just like James Dobson was a long-standing Christian minister, he went, and he, in marriage counseling, he asked this question. And he asked it of husbands, and he asked it of wives. And he said, when you're in a quarrel, men, do you feel unloved, or do you feel disrespected? And the answer was 83% said, I feel disrespected. He asked the same question of the women. When you're in a quarreling situation with, with her, husband, do you feel unloved or do you feel disrespected? And 72% said that they felt unloved. So that brings more meat to that verse. And These people have had a ministry going for well over 20 years on that one verse. Who's ever heard of Love Dare? Love Dare is another ministry and it's a uh, a daily action item for 40 days to improve your, your marital love. These folks have baked it down a little bit better. And I, I knew of them, but I didn't know about this email thing until this week, so I'm just now getting started. Every other day, you'll get 15 emails, so it's basically a month. And every one of those emails tells you something about what you should be doing with your spouse. And it suggests, first 15 emails, do it by yourself. Then I think there's gonna be a batch of second 15 emails, do it as a couple. But think about that. Husbands, each of you should love his wife, and wives, respect your husband. Now that's sometimes difficult, because the difficulty began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, Eve ate of the fruit, Adam was there, he was a passive husband. Adam also ate the fruit, and their eyes were opened. The time of the curse came in Chapter 3, and in the curse, the Lord said that, Adam, you're gonna work by the sweat of your face, and we Eve, you're going to have pain during childbirth, and your desire will be toward your husband. Now, that doesn't mean a sexual desire. That should have been there well before the fall, because they were told to go forth and multiply. That's talking about the wife is cursed, Want to be in charge of the husband, and so to do that respect thing becomes especially difficult. Now, there's this other thing called your your love language. Everybody has a different kind of love language. Somebody likes to see it in words. Somebody likes to see it in gifts. I'll tell you, Jenny's love language is effort and I've told you many, many times, I'm not, I'm not very handy, but she appreciates the effort. Okay, I can manage to mow the lawn if the mower works. But when the, when the mower breaks down, I have to tinker with it for a while, because otherwise I don't, I don't get any points. Her love language is effort. So finally, all of you, if we had those other hands that were going like this, Here's a different set of hands. And I want you to notice, if you look really, really closely, that looks like a, an old man's hand holding an old lady's hand. Jenny was 19 years old when I married her. Now she's 105 years old. And she's not wrinkled like that yet. And she's not arthritic like that at all. But she's more beautiful to me today than she was all those years ago. And why is that? Because of her outward adornment. Because of the respect she gives me whether I earned it or not. Because of her ability to testify to me without words, even though I am a believer of the word. That's beauty. Do we fight? Oh yeah. Do we kiss and make up? That's the best part of the fight. And so, friction can become a handholding if we do it right, because love covers a multitude of sins. Finally, all of you, not just husband and wife, but in all of our, our daily affairs, how should we deal with ourselves? A unity of mind. Les and I can sit down, and there are so many things we can agree on. We can just stick right in the Bible. The virgin birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection. So many wonderful, wonderful things. And my guess is as we got more and more granular, we might have some things where he's sure of something and I don't know, or we both just adamantly disappear, disappear. Disagree. But there's a unity of mind. There used to be a... Quilt in the back of the church. My, I, I can't quote it exactly. Maybe one of you guys can. But it talked about where there are differences. Love. It ended up where there are differences. And the, whole, the last thing was, in all things love. It was a quote from Martin Luther. Shame on me. Any of you remember that quote? That's my old age sitting there. For whoever would love life and see good de- days. Who wants to see good days? I do. You want to see good days? I want you to look at that must. It's, these are not suggestions. This is, if you want to see good days, these are the things that have to happen. have to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. I'll come back to this one. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. The word deceitful spark, spark this in my mind I was talking with the grandkids about Moses, and I said, uh, "Why is the baby going to the river?" And I said, "Well, to save the baby, well, of course, die, right? Where were the babies supposed to go per Pharaoh's edict? In the river. So they were following Pharaoh's command, but they weren't following all the way. Now, that's a crazy thing." spin around and say, if you're not telling the whole truth, you're not telling any truth. And so we try to grow those things Isaiah says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Turn from evil and do good. Back to those families. Lost, 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 saved, saved, lost. When a person gets saved, there's a change in their life old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And if you're traveling through that maturation process together, it's a beautiful thing. But if it's going like this or like this, there could be some, there could be some hot spots. But the point of the matter is a good lifestyle should wear off. Not a road and not have but a good lifestyle should wear off onto other people. And you can see that when you have some kids that are leaders. You know, sheep, the Bible refers to us as, all we like sheep have gone to stress because they're dumb and we're defenseless. But typically there's one leader of those sheep. And I had a leader of sheep. She was was a, a renegade. And if there was the smallest hole in the fence, she would find it. And they all would follow. That's a bad leader. But a good leader, sheep will follow. And so turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's a never-ending pursuit. Because as long as we're in these carcasses, Satan's going to try to cause trouble. There's no doubt about it. Seek peace and pursue it. The book of Romans tells us, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably one with another. And with the Mennonite tradition, we many times talk about wars and should our young men sign up for the military, but for me that's that's sort of a hypothetical thing. The The question is, how do we live our daily lives? I had a wonderful neighbor who has since passed on to be with the Lord. His last name was Wrigley. I can't remember his first name, He had the farm right next to our place. And I made the mistake of putting up a fence, and when I finally got to looking at it, the fence was three feet on his land. So I went to him, I said, I've got a problem. I said, I somehow put my fence three feet on your land. I don't want to move my fence. Can I buy it off you? Can we trade land over the other section right He said, boast not of tomorrow because each day has enough trouble. He said, I'll sign a lease for 99 years if you give me a dollar. Well, that was 30 years ago. He's gone, I met his wife, and we both laughed. And she said, don't worry about it. You've got 60 years to go. That's somebody who lived in peace. We're neighbors. I encroached. I was wrong. He said, let's not worry about it. It's a good thing because my place, if it's not a rock, it's a root, and all those fence posts went in custom. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil does God hear every prayer it's not a trick question does God hear every prayer I get a yes here I get a yes over there when Jesus healed that man in John 9 and the Pharisees approached him he said to those guys the Lord does not hear sinners Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And there are other verses that go along that line. If I'm looking for prayers to be answered, there's that must. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful uh, speech. Turn from evil to good. Seek peace and pursue it. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness. And there's that word respect again. Now I found that an interesting piece because there's this heart. And you don't tell me that's a heart of stone. It's a heart of transparency. Don't be an undercover Christian where you only identify yourself as a Christian under duress. At work, I don't have to tell people that I'm a Christian. Somehow, they figure it out. I get into conversations when the opportunity's there. And there are people, I'll say mixed company, somebody will tell a, an off-color joke or use a, a word that's not in my vocabulary. And more often than not, if there's a lady here, they'll say, I'm sorry. I don't think they think I'm a lady, but many times people apologize to me for the joke or the words. It's, it's a, a crazy thing. I'm a transparent Christian. Do I have to be a PhD from Dallas Theological Seminary to tell people about my Jesus? The woman I well did. She wasn't even a, a Sunday schooler. She was living a pretty rough life, and she went back into that town. She said, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The Bible says that many believed because of her word, and they came out to meet Jesus. And the Bible says many more believed Jesus. So it talks about the reason for hope. Why do we we talk about that stuff? You know, we live in depressing times. I started this thing by saying we need to pray for our country. What kind of hope do we have? What, what do I have that people would look to me and say, there's something special about that guy." Here's our outline. A lively hope. A righteous hope. A firm and a trusting hope. And the book of Titus tells us, a blessed hope. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Looking forward to that blessed hope. You can talk about climate change. You can talk about Supreme Court things. You can talk about what's happening in Afghanistan. We know how it's all going to end. And I have a hope, and it's not like, I hope I get a new car for my birthday. It's not going to happen. The word hope in the Bible means an expectation based upon Scripture. I expect to go to heaven. Because he promised me I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He promised me, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so that's my blessed hope. My blessed expectation that he's going to come for me. So you look at that slide, back to this one. Give an answer to those who ask. Now, it's an interesting challenge because sometimes you want to work things out. So maybe they're going to ask. Have a blessed day. I've, I've been so blessed by, by picking up that hat. Have a blessed day. More often than not, somebody will sure. Well, thank you. About a week ago, somebody beat me to it, and they told me, have a blessed day, and I was in shock. Somebody asks you, we need to be prepared to give an answer. I've got four minutes. We've got some interesting things to cover. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now I'm gonna take a little twist on this verse, and please follow me. The parallel to us, see that word for? He's, all these things that preceded this verse, all these things that were for us, and it was almost staccato like James. James is telling us do this, 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 and this, and Peter in this particular chapter is the same thing. Now he's drawing this parallel do all these things because or for Christ also did these things, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, Jesus did not have to be saved because he was never lost. But the King James says, the just for the unjust. Well, so far we're still good. But let's take this, and if if it applies to us, it's the justified. Jesus was not justified because he never was lost. But the parallel is saying this, that we should suffer once a justified person for the unfair, the unjust things that happen to us. And the example I used a couple weeks ago was, if I get pulled over because I was speeding, I I shouldn't feel sorry for myself because I'm, I'm not suffering for something that was unjust. I deserved it. But if I have to pull over because I got a flat tire and my tire had been maintained, That's a different situation and Paul wrote he said that we should be thankful in all circumstances. And he went and proclaimed to the spirits. Now, Peter is taking an interesting curve here. And I only have two minutes. So I'm going to touch on this, and then we're going to start back again on this next week. When Jesus died, his body went into that borrowed tomb and his soul and spirit went to hell. You think of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed has the phrase, and he descended into hell. And he proclaimed, King James would say preached, but it's not preached in terms of evangeliso, giving the sharing of good news. It's the word that means to declare. And the best Bible example I could give would be when Haman's message went out to all those provinces that the Jews were going to die. Those guys weren't taking good news. They were declaring those things. They proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared and in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, I was reading a commentary by Adam Clark, and he said there are probably as many interpretations of this as there are commentators. Well, that's interesting. Here's another commentator, right? I haven't published anything, but I'm a commentator. How long did it take to build the ark? The simple answer is 120 years. Although a verse doesn't say that they started building the ark. He simply said there was 120 years that was talking about the Lord's patience. What was happening on earth at that time? The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. So 120 years and God is showing his patience towards man and man is going downhill. What was remarkable... What was more remarkable than that? The Nephilim. A lot of people say, and uh, you can translate that word giants, and King James, I think, uses the word giants. The Nephilim were on the earth. And then the question becomes, who were the Ephilim? And I'm one minute over. Do your research, we'll talk again next week, Lord willing.